I think more and more churches are being intrigued by the idea of it, but I think get sidetracked by the practicalities of it rather than the vision of what it's called to be. Well, welcome to this edition of Raising Standards, and we have a very special friend who we've known for many years, which tells you that we are both getting older and nothing more than that. Please welcome my guest for today. It is Rachel Turner. Hello. Rachel, hello, hello. Oh, it's so good to see you. We're so excited that you're here and could join us. Me too. I'm so excited I'm, to just spend time with you. It's going to be great. It is. It is. So do you want to just start by telling us a bit about who you are, what you do? <laughs> Sure. Uh, my name is Rachel Turner. I am the founder of Parenting for Faith. Uh, over the past 15 years, I've served as a youth pastor and children's pastor and family life pastor. Um, I've written a lot of books, not as many as Ollie has. And uh, I just get to spend my days, I guess, just hoping to see every generation raised to be the fullness of who they are and that we together as an intergenerational community uh, get to walk the path that God has for us. All right. Okay. So unpack one of those. Let's start with the intergenerational community. Um, how, how are we doing at that? Is this something in the mindset of churches? What might it look like? Throw out some things for us. I, I think more and more churches are being intrigued by the idea of it, but I think get sidetracked by the practicalities of it rather than the vision of what it's called to be. So for me, an intergenerational community is about every individual being the fullness of who they're called to be right now in this phase and that we learn together and we walk alongside together and we submit to each other and we're this beautiful body of Christ. And, um, and that requires being together and that requires learning from each other and worshiping alongside each other. And I think right now there's a desire for it but we get trapped in the old models of what we have which is let's throw in an all age service where the kids will find it fun and I think I think we're getting in our own way of pursuing it um, because I, th I think it's one of the most beautiful things um, that could ever be an intergenerational community um, living how we're called to be and we just get stuck. Okay so you're slightly allergic to all ages then I'm taking it from that it's kind of <laughs> we'll do it no the kids will be happy that nobody else will be is that what you're saying? I think we settle for that I think we I think we lower our our vision and go if we put everybody in the same room, then will the kids be happy? Will the adults be annoyed? And we sort of look at what can the program look like to keep everybody entertained and together. And I think we need to set our view for how can we wholeheartedly worship alongside each other? And how can we facilitate families facilitating their kids to engage with this? How can we learn from the children that are there? How can the children learn from the old people that are here? I think, I think we lower what is possible for ourselves and then pursue that and then are disappointed when it's not delivering the spiritual impact um, yeah. because there's so much more for us and it's worth persevering to get there. Yeah, I think one of the things when we, talk about this and, and you see people's eyes glazing going intergenerational how will this work we then comment on the best intergenerational model we've ever seen the family where somehow granddad can sit there and and say pass me the cheese and I don't know why granddad's speaking <laughs> hey I'm not here to judge granddad Ollie and the you kids know, are kind fine. of running <laughs> The kids are running around, do their thing. And it just, family works. No one goes, oh, but how will it work having these different ages in the same room together? Yes. Mm, how, how will mealtime, how we're going to have to work very carefully. It's just that we kind of relax into that and it, we just are, we are together. So 
I'm seeing you nodding and going, yes, yes, yes. So if a church wants to move more this way, can you give us three reasons why? We can have as many reasons as you like. Why should we? Okay. Why is it important? And then maybe we'll, we'll look at some hows. How, how can we begin okay. to edge in this direction? All right. I got my house ready. Out one of the why? Okay, no, no, I was going to find my pen so I can write down. Um, my whys are one, I think that's how we were always designed to be. And I think it's how we're going to be in heaven. So for me, that's, that's the inheritance we have is to uh, be wholeheartedly ourselves alongside each other. And um, so therefore, it's worth claiming too strong a word. Uh, it's, it's worth pursuing, because I think that's where we see the best representation of god right, and yeah. together and so that's one why uh two i think because it is um i believe that the body of christ is designed so that we can see god better and i think so often we say we allow different generations to say to each other i value you but i don't need you and actually for my walk with god for me to fully see him i need the perspective of a child i need the perspective of someone older than me and so therefore if i want to individually see god better I need intergenerational relationships to see that. And the third why, I guess, would be um, because in every experience that I've had that has had that, it has brought me such, um, such depth, I guess, to my understanding, to my experience of God. Um, mm -hmm. There was a time where I um, lost a baby and I wouldn't allow anybody to pray for me because I was like, I don't want to go there. No, thank you. But when a eight-year-old walks up to you and says God told me to come over and pray for you you're gonna say okay and that kid led ministry and we just we just sat down and that kid spoke God's words over us that kid led us into encounter and I don't think we would have got the healing that we got in the time that we got had a child not stepped into their calling right. uh, in that moment and so for me it's not just about seeing and understanding God better it's about how we can facilitate us meeting with God and each other those yeah. are my three whys Okay. I've, yeah. And everyone wins. Everyone wins. Yes. You know, yes. Not that the children lose out and the, uh, which, which is kind of on the head of what our instinct is, which is everyone's going to suffer if we don't. Yes. <laughs> it's compromise. It's one the only big people kind of have, No, even the, the parents aren't happy because they're still with the kids who are playing up and, and kind of trying to grab the hymn book and the older generation aren't happy because now there's more noise. We, we got this image that everyone will lose, but actually yes. everybody wins. Everyone grows in the kingdom. Yes. I love it. Love yes. it. Okay. So you've sold it to us it's, okay. it's biblical it's kingdom it's everything that's the why right how, how are we going to start okay number one i love your analogy of the family but what makes the family work is the relationships i think we try to head for intergenerational without investing in the relationships and so family works and you're willing to tolerate grandpa's talking about cheese and height levels and you're willing to play with a three-year-old for tea sets because you're committed to those relationships and you're invested in those relationships and they're mutual relationships and so i would say if if we want to pursue intergenerational church we need to invest in intergenerational relationships and i think we've lost that skill as a community and that takes some proactivity and learning right. give, give us some examples of that what might it look like in practice um i i think we try to programize it programatize we try to put it into programs too much and so uh i i've known people were like oh well then we'll run an event well we're bringing different generations together and i think some of it is i think we need to give people skills like i've actually sat with people of an older generation and said let me tell you about what 12 year olds think about 
now. And here's some good questions to start conversations because actually they felt uncomfortable talking to 12 year olds. Um, but also I think it's, it's re-speaking truth into an older generation. I know a story of uh, one group of uh, ladies who love knitting and they just went to a local school and said, we love knitting and we knit in that hall every Thursday if you wanna join us. And they had a whole bunch of teenagers come and want to learn knitting and after school, no, no church would ever be like, you know what we need? A knitting outreach program. But a bunch of people being themselves saying, if you want to come. And there were kids in there who were in the foster care system, who were struggling with relationships, who gained this beautiful intergenerational relationship because the, the older generation were willing to be themselves and invite people in. And I think some of it is speaking the truth of be yourself, invite people in, invest in those relationships. Um, yeah, I, I would say start with that. Yeah, so it's it's bit, first of all, selling the vision of this yes. is a good thing. And then helping people to know how to be intentional. Uh, yes. That's what I'm hearing from you. So even many churches will have maybe a young person who helps with the sound desk or helps with different things. They can help, but that's still not necessarily forming an intergenerational bond. But if the yes. leader of the sound desk, the adult there, knows their job is to build relationship and not just show them how to press buttons on the on the whatever the thing is sorry any sound people who are listening um <laughs> press the right buttons along the way if, if they've got that <coughs> in mind then it, it's yes. going to be much more intentional so that everything becomes intentional even that the, the lady serving the coffee or the tea it's not just smiling at the kids and saying that but ask how was your week what have you yes. been doing this just something which allows some degree of connection along the way i, I, I love the adopt a granny kind of idea where find so find so if you've got a family and you've got your children yeah. look around your church and see who you can invite for sunday lunch and uh, yes. and you'll all win everybody wins Once yes you have someone in your house eating food with you you all feel like you know each. i love it after we've had someone over actually when our children in church then see somebody and they go running up to them and are smiling and the other person's pleased to see them you're like well that was easy all we did was eat yes. food together um yes and as you say but well, it's not a program it's a it's an intention all right, yes. I'm going to change tack slightly. Fine, fine. Um, 30 years ago in, here in the UK, where we're okay. both based, despite your American accent in there, Thank you. in there, still slightly Thanks. there. Although it seems to be mellowing as time goes by. This is to... my 20 years. This is my 20 year anniversary of living here. So oh, yeah, I it? hope it mellows slightly. Yes. Oh, and this is my 20th anniversary. So that's it. Amazing. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, well, maybe, maybe we need to turn it up a bit though, because we love the Americans too. But I, I think, um, I, I forgot where I was going now. That's totally thrown me. 20 years. That's so exciting. <laughs> um, so in, it was 20, 30 years ago, we kind of had a Christian worldview in our schools. Um, the Bible was taught in even non-specific Christian schools, to call them that. Um, just that it was part of our bread and butter, the fabric of our society, the value system undergirding everything. They may not have been presenting Jesus everywhere, but the mm. moral framework and the value system was the same. Uh, that's not the case now. Has that brought any challenges? Does it make any difference? Is there anything we should kind of have a little alarm bell going on if we see something in our children that they come home, I don't know, wearing a strange hat and we go, what is going on here? Well, what, what's your take on this big shift that's taken place in culture for those of us who are seeking to raise our children, not out of this culture, but in the, in the world, but just not of it? I think it provides an amazing opportunity because, because I think what it does is it, it enables us to, for them to have a, a, 
a snapshot of they're, they're going to be living in the world for their whole lives. And so when when our children encounter people who have no idea who Jesus is and who have no basis, you know, even what they're teaching in RE isn't necessarily what we I'm still vetting that. Oh, it's Christianity. Okay, what if what if, what are they saying? How do we hold that up to what we know to be the truth of Jesus? And so we're constantly um, teaching our kids the skills of how do you encounter a broken, lost, and needy world and bring Jesus into that. And that means that you'll be taught stuff that is slightly off and you need to hold it up and weigh it to scripture. It means you'll be encountering people who need God and are, are working out of that lack of love and pain and, and anger and aggressiveness. And how do you respond to that? And so for, for me, it's a little training field of, of how we are called to be in the world and positioning. If we can give that to our four-year-olds to say, this is how you bring love into every situation. This is how you stand up for yourself while also, you know, not crushing other people's souls. You know, this is how you minister, you know, in healing and power in the places that you are. You know, I think it's, a, it's an opportunity that we have um, because um, in the end, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts and teaches, um, not schools in general. And so I'm, I'm in some ways, it's what we're in now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can I take one phrase you said, how you stand up for yourself? Yes. But not crushing other people. Yes. How do we teach our kids that? <laughs> oh, I'm going Ollie, for all the easy, easy questions, questions for you, Rachel. You know? <laughs> I feel this is not fair. I feel like you're supposed to answer them too. Okay. Oh, am I? All right. Oh. Okay. You can. After, I'll let you ask me a question after this one. Oh, okay, 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 okay. But okay. I, I have added to every uh, to every question you, you have. have asked no, I know. Kind you of, have. So, but I've had more time to think about it. <laughs> You've been able to listen to me and be like, she is not answering this well. Let me feed into this well. Okay. No, I'm How listening. We... Going, wow, this is this is gold <laughs> that she's delivering here. We we need to feast on this. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much. Okay. Uh, how do you teach our kids to stand up for ourselves? I, I, I love looking at Jesus. Like uh, Jesus walked this beautiful line where there were times where he stayed absolutely silent in the face of lies and, and real aggression. And there are times where he was like, I am not standing for this. And he stood up for himself and spoke truth. And I, I love looking at who he was talking to when he was standing up for himself and what he was choosing to do. Um, and so for me, when I talk to children, I say it's, it's okay. You know, it, our God didn't design us to be, to be mats for people to walk on. He designed us to be defenders of others. He designed us to stand up for justice. And sometimes that means standing up for justice for yourself too. That is absolutely okay. But the way we do that is to not injure others into into plow over other people we speak the truth and we bring in people who are stronger and have more authority than us when we need that and we make sure that we're looking out for the lost and the lonely and the hurt and the broken and sometimes that means we put our bodies in between it and so and i've known some kids who are like we'll go stand in front of it or if somebody's getting bullied you go put your body next to it and you speak your voice and so a lot of it i think is teaching kids the power of their presence and the power of their voice because if we if we just say stand up for yourself then then they don't know how and i'm a really big advocate that actually children need to know not just the the power of what they can do 
but how to apply that power to say your voice is powerful in encouragement, your voice is powerful in calling for attention and a spotlight on what needs to be seen in justice. Your voice is powerful in speaking the truth and grace and to practice those skills so that when they're in those situations, they go, I know exactly what to do right now. I can put my body there. I can put my voice there. I can be the one who speaks. And, you know, often I point out, you know, if something happens to you, there's so many times in the world where bad things happen to people and they don't speak and they don't say this is what happened to me because they're embarrassed or ashamed and therefore it can happen again but if you can find the courage to say this was not okay and this happened to me you allow truth to be there and jesus is the truth and that is such a powerful thing and so speaking about those things i think to kids is so equipping for them yeah that's great really great do you, do you want to throw a question at me then I, i'm, I'm not uh, you on, i feel like that's more putting you on the spot than me <laughs> I'll feel empowered. I'll feel empowered to ask a question when, when I, when I have a question. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm ready for you to, to send one my way. <laughs> that means I now have to think of both questions and answers at the same time. I feel like this is, this is turning the tables on me a little bit here. Um, okay. I, I love, I love the concept, uh, not concept, the practicality of love and truth working together side by side. And teaching our children, but always being loving, which is, I'm just pulling what you've just said, really, yes, yeah, and throwing yeah. it back at you. Love and truth. I think sometimes we err on only truth for our children. Only do what's right. And sometimes we err on you must be loving. And mm. it, well, Jesus, what we define as love didn't always look loving when he was turning over tables and saying, looking lovingly at those poor lost Pharisees saying, you brood of vipers, <laughs> you whitewashed tombs. And it doesn't feel like the kind of loving love, lovey love, love <laughs> that we're used to. But the heart undergirding that was that he, he was longing for them to see how broken they were in their wholeness. Yeah. You know, it's only the sick yeah. who needs the doctor, not the well. You get, you yeah. get that heartbeat behind it. And yeah. to help our children have that heart check of, are you doing this for the right motive and doing yeah. it out of truth? That's, I, I think that's fantastic. All right. I'm, I'm going to build on this a little bit. Okay. Because what, I think one of the challenges in our time is things that I used to want to teach 15, 16 year olds to empower mm -hmm. them to live fully for Jesus. I kind of feel like the five-year-olds are now needing some of what you're talking about of standing up to yourself and finding your voice and so on, mm. which maybe when they're five, there were enough advocates around in times past and those advocates are still there and still speaking for them. But it feels like there's a need for them to know more about everything yeah. <laughs> at a very young age. Yeah. How do we yeah. begin to unpack this with, with quite young children to prepare them? Because we, how can we, how can we, instill the word of God in them from such a young age that they'll have enough of it, I guess is what I'm saying, yeah, to be able yeah. to take things forward. Yeah, I think it's a really powerful thing. I think for me, I see them slightly in two different things. There is the foundation on which everything is built. And so the foundation is the same. It's just that sometimes what we would talk to, to the 15, 16 year olds was a more mature application of the same foundation. And so for me, I think being really aware of what is the foundation that my kid is going to need to know for a lifetime that they can apply in every situation. So for me, I talk a lot about telling the whole story. What is the full story of the gospel? Because often we 
we would then add surprises, you know, back in the day, we could say God is love, get used to that. And then we could add on, you know, oh, by the way, there's sin, let's deal with that. And then mm, the world is broken. And we sort of add it. So by the time you get to 15, 16, you were talking about the complexities of, you know, sin and people coming into ministry and the world and how we serve it and stuff. Um, but that's because we used to stack the information. So we always had new information that they didn't know yet. And for me, if we can start building the fullness of the gospel when they're very tiny, you know, the idea that we were created. And I often talk about how we were created with God's love to be at the center of, of how we were made. And we were, we were never made to exist without knowing how fully loved we were, knowing the purpose that we had and fully loving God in return. That's, that's the battery that we were called to be made with. And and then that kind of got broken and we walked away from that. And that's why the world's messed up. Nobody's operating. Well, very few people are operating with the battery that we were designed for. We're all operating out of design. And so then it was broken and God pursued us and he provided a way back for us to experience that love. And we're walking that out and the Holy Spirit comes to join us. And one day it will all be perfect again. And that story is the same story that we tell our 16 year olds and we tell our three year olds. Um, and when we can begin to tell that story over and over and over again and saying, that's why this is happening. And, you know, the pandemic, where that fits in, where's the Holy Spirit moving and what is he doing and how can I partner with finding people, finding love for people and how can I keep tying it into the foundation, then no matter how complex the world gets and no matter what situation our children are in, it all comes down to the same gospel, the same story we've been telling them their whole lives. Yeah. It's just teaching them how to apply it better and better as they get older. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. And I'm picturing some parents might be listening in on this and, and beginning to break out in a cold sweat and feeling the pressure of, oh, my child's now eight, nine, 11, 13. And I, I don't know if I've given them the full story and I'm seeing some aspects of the world being in their mindset. And I, I feel I'm failing as a parent and, you know, all, all the guilt trip that we, <laughs> I think every parent I know, even the most together families, you, know, you look at it and go, wow, I wish my kids could be like them. It, even those parents are going, oh my, I'm failing and this is happening. Oh how, how, um, how can we uh, kind of make this real for them? Alleviate this, because this is not, we're not, parenting is not supposed to be something we do out of guilt. <laughs> this no. Is, this, we've been called no. into this. The Lord it's true. We, we have what it takes to raise these little ones who are in our home to be who they're called to be. He believes in yes. us, even if we don't, believe in us right at this moment yes what, what would you and, say to them and i would also say that he designed it to work knowing us at this stage in our lives like i am shocked people let me have a baby when they let me have a baby because i am not a wise person and they let me do it god designed parenting to happen when you're tired exhausted with half a brain and still not perfect yet like that's how he made it so it's okay to do that and i think for me there's a confidence not in the fact that I can always do it perfectly. No parent will ever do it perfectly. And we're not called to do that. We're just called to walk alongside our children and young people and help them know God. And that what we are the experts in are the quirkiness of our own children. And that's the gift that we are. The, the, the imperfect faith that we have is saying, this is what life with God looks like for me. And this is how you can meet with God in these places. And I'll guarantee you, you're probably doing it better than you think. And so for me, so much of it is, is noticing where there's holes and filling that hole. And so you probably have talked about how, you know, in the garden, 
you felt you know loved and one day we're going to feel loved again and you probably talked about sin at some point but sometimes it could just be that you think i've never told that whole story and so i'm just going to fill in that gap of adding in that bit of how we partner with the holy spirit now to do stuff because that's the one little hole in the story and you can tell that while you're driving or you could be like i was reminded of this the other day about this whole story of the gospel and sometimes i forget that and you just drop it in to me so much of of parenting for faith is about dripping in and spotting where there's a hole spotting where their foot is about to step and going oh they need something to step on there and filling that in and it will always feel chaotic and it will always feel like you're just last minuting it sometimes and that's okay because we're called to journey alongside our kids not have it planned out on a chart that yeah. they then walk because life is up and down and chaotic and you don't know what's coming but we get to be there as a gift to our kids to journey alongside them yeah yeah and i think there's some who can feel a bit awkward when they if they're not used to talking about the things of God you you almost put on your and now we shall have a holy moment conversation voice <laughs> and, yes and, and then you kind of get through it and went, did they listen no they wandered <laughs> off and <laughs> but but actually uh, the more we just make this part of our natural everyday the, the easier it becomes yeah yeah all right I, I've got another again I'm, I keep changing text because there's just so I much like in you Rachel I want to pull it all out all right I see I have a child Imagine me what I actually have children, as you know, okay. but I was about to say a child. <laughs> okay. And I hear from the Lord clearly from before they're even born that they have a prophetic call on their life. Yep. Should I A do what Mary did and hide these things away in my heart? Or yes. B enroll them in the school of prophecy from the age of three months onwards. I, I guess I'm saying when we know there's a calling of God on our children's lives, how much should we? dump that call on them and go this is what you're called to and how much should we just sit back and let the lord do it and we don't do anything in in that way for me when god gives us insight into our children it's so that we know what we're looking for and that we are aware of what we're called to nurture in them and so for me often i don't find um telling our kid this is who you are is helpful because then we've given them a box to try to either fit within or rebel against but for me when god says this is who your kid is you're going ah this is what i'm spotting so when i see it pop up i understand it you know often if you have a kid who has a particular prophetic call they're going to be seeing things sometimes and hearing things and they're going to be having dreams and talking about them in a way that we may dismiss um, but actually, if we're tuned into it, go, oh, okay, this is it. And we can make them feel safe in it. We can give them equipping in it. We can surround them with people who are like them, who can talk about what it's like for them. And so for me, it's this beautiful gift of God that says, this is, this is what you're going to be nurturing. This is what you're going to be seeing pop up. If you're expecting a flower and up pops a cactus, you either think something's deeply wrong with my child, or God says, you got a cactus. And you're like, oh, this is what it's supposed to look like. And therefore, I know how to take care of it. And so I think it's a real it's a real gift that we know what space to create and to know what sensitivities are and how to equip them. So if they reach a point where they're saying, I'm getting these words and I want to know more, and your kid is of the personality who wants to learn in a course environment, sure, sign them up for a thing. But they may be a quiet kid who does it very quietly and they would more benefit from having a dinner with other people who do it very quietly and write emails to people of encouragement. And they need to hear that that's a particular expression as well and so it's a it's a knowledge of your child that's a gift to us mm. to know what to expect and how to facilitate it beautiful 
Beautiful. And taking our children. I, I love talking with you, Rachel, because it's like every <laughs> everything is that I can go any direction and there's a, there's wisdom in there. So, so well, I've never thought about again. it before. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not changing stuff. Still on the same kind of theme. Um, discernment. Massive, yes. massive thing. We would love all of our children. To, I think even even those who've never met the Lord want their children to be discerning. It's going to be yes. choose your right friends and watch the right <laughs> movies and discern what yes. you do with your time and bedtimes. And well, there's so, there's so many layers to this along the way. How can we help our children grow in discernment? Uh, I might be controversial. I think discernment is one of those Christian lazy words that encompasses so much that we then don't know where to go with it. And so I think within discernment, there is how do we discern God's voice and hold God's voice up to, you know, there's all of that practicalities. I think there's general wisdom. And I think wisdom features a lot in scripture. And we often don't talk about wisdom with our kids. And uh, I remember my mom uh, saying that she felt when she was a kid, one of the things that she really wanted was to be wise. That was her main ambition. And as soon as she said that for me, I was like, I want to be wise. And so she was telling me about how the Bible says, if you if you don't have wisdom, ask God for wisdom. And so as a child, I remember being eight or nine and every night I would ask God to make me wise. That was like my ambition because it was my mom's ambition. And this idea that wisdom is a thing that you can grow in and God can give you. And that therefore, you know, you reach a situation and there is a wise choice, a, a choice that protects people and holds all those things together and God will help you make wisdom um, is a really important important conversation to have and so I often I parent for wisdom where we talk about what were the what were the things that were going through your head when you were thinking about that what was God saying how did you make that choice now that you've made that choice did you think that was a wise choice what other wisdom was in there and I think sometimes we can parent for wisdom in a way that um, actually is really important uh, which um, helps them think and what to consider and why they were thinking those things and to praise that I think often we don't praise. I love how you did that thinking. I love that was such a wise choice. And I love hearing how you made that decision that I really appreciate that and asking them for wisdom. You know, I'm facing this decision in my life. What would be wise to do in this situation and allow wisdom to be a conversation in your family. Often we demand it from our children, but never teach them how to be wise in those situations or praise it when it's happening. And then you have the discerning God's voice, which I think has a whole different set of equipping. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to take this a step further because I think um, there'll be some listening who will be going, I love the whole questioning approach. I think giving space for my children to respond, all of that, but my child won't listen or my child's gone too far in with these particular friends where they're clearly making unwise choices because of them. I just want to sit them down and say, stop it. <laughs> I want to I want to put them in a box and well, we're going to move house and get to a different place. Well, I mean, I guess some of this will depend on the age of a child. So let's take a, a five year old, a 10 year old and a 15 year old. How how can we help if we feel like our children are making wrong choices? We've had those sit down conversations and either they're not responding to them or they aren't even engaging in them, depending on their age in different ways. Um, how, how can we move forward with this? So I guess for me, there's there's the balance of children live through experiment, they learn through experimentation. So I think sometimes we try to prevent our children from making mistakes because we're wiser than they are, but they often need to make the mistakes and experience the consequences to then be able to make those learning journeys. And I think sometimes we need to 
uh, understand that children learn through experimentation. Therefore, we need to make space that mistakes are going to happen. And that's part of the learning journey. So if we overreact to every mistake they make, then, then they're busy reacting to our reaction rather than really experiencing the joy of the consequences. Uh, and so I think there, but there are times where we give boundaries and I think we give freedom within boundaries for them to make mistakes and not make mistakes. As children get older, those consequences can be more damaging and scary. And so therefore we feel the weight of those consequences and it's okay to put in boundaries that say, I'm not okay with you doing all of these things because those consequences are too scary. You have freedom within here. Um, so some of the things that I talk about are about building trust. Um, I think sometimes we wanna slam the boundary down and, and then you either live within my boundary or you don't live within my boundary. But um, I often talk with children about when you make wise choices, it builds my trust and it makes me move the boundaries farther because I can trust you with more freedom. And when you make a mistake, you make a poor boundary, it means that I need to close it around you because it's my job to keep you safe. And as you grow older, I want to teach you how to keep yourself safe. And I think when we can begin to have conversations about what builds my trust and why that builds my trust um, and how when you build my trust, you get more freedom. I think that's really helpful because my goal is not for you to conform to my standards. My goal is for you to grow up healthily and wise and well. And I can sit down and say, you know, if you're 15 and you're making poor choices, that are damaging and everything. There's loads of things that could have led to that. There could be a breakdown in the parent-child relationship. There could be a manipulative relational situation that they're in, that they're not seeing, that they actually need help with seeing. Uh, there could be that they need more boundaries because they need somebody to save them because they can't pull it back. And I know so many 15 year olds as a youth pastor who said, I wish my parent would just say, I can't go because that would make it, you know, sometimes yeah. they need that backup. And as a parent to sit with your teenager and say, if you ever need out of this, I am very happy to be the super mean parent that says, no, you can't go. And I will do it publicly if you need me to. And I've had teenagers that I work with stage parent interventions where the parents show up and they have a big argument in front of everybody about how I want to go. And the parents like, no, you can't go. And the kid's like, oh, I hate my parent. <laughs> and they sort of come and they're safe now. And so I, I think there's there's, there's a reestablishment of what is my role in your life and um, how can we build that trust so I can give you those freedoms. Um, and sometimes the relationship is actually the starting point for it. If you have a breakdown relationship, then you're just stuck in a power struggle. Um, yeah. And actually it's through relationship that those connections do. I feel like I was very chaotic in that answer. I loved it though. I love it. One okay. of the things for our children, we, we read before our children became teenagers, we read how many teens end up doing things they don't want to do because they can see no way out. So yes. they're in a situation, exactly what you're talking about. And uh, so we set up a thing where our children can text us a letter. And when we get that letter, we will call them and insist that they come home for a family emergency. The emergency being that they're in a compromising situation. <laughs> then they can moan and complain about us as yes. parents. Oh, my yes. parents are insisting I have to come home. Yes. Or we will go and pick them up, even if they're somewhere where we didn't know they were or shouldn't have been. And, yes. and just giving them that kind of, they know there's a get out clause. Um, yes, it's it's that that way of thinking, I guess, isn't it? To say we're with my you, dad no had a no matter what. Yes, 
my dad had a, I'll pick you up at any time, at any place, no questions asked policy. And I remember having to call him at two o'clock in the morning when cocaine came out. And I remember being like, I'm, I'm, I just thought I was at a nice party. <laughs> this is not a nice party. I, I don't know. And he, you know, he showed up and it was fine. No questions asked. He's like, you're okay. And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. And there was a sense of, I, I was not trapped in a place that I was scared. I was, I, I was trapped in a place that I was like, this is not okay. But I, I instantly had a person who would come have my back. Um, and then we could talk about what was there and what were the signs and, you know, I could process it and I had someone to process it with. Um, and that sense of, of companionship, I think that's what's so important is that we can be the boundary person. We are called to be the boundary person, but so much of it is, is giving the safety net and the, the walk alongsideness to say, you know, I eventually you will have this all by yourself. And in the meantime, I got you. Um, oh, this is my question to you. Oh, okay. You I'll have a thing. This is a thing. You have a thing um, about, you know, particularly with teenagers, about how you have done this sort of allowing your teenager idea, and I don't want to intrude into your family too much, but um, your idea of, of coming of age and how to uh, teach teenagers to navigate their own lives um, within a safe environment of a home. Um, and um, how did you come to that sort of thinking through process of it? And, um, and what have you learned in that process of creating, you know, a lot of space for teenagers to learn? Yeah, so first of all, thank you for giving me credit for um, things that have been going on for centuries and millennia. <laughs> No, I just <laughs> yeah. oh, you have this thing where you came up with this great idea well <laughs> so credit where credit is due go back about a few thousand years <laughs> and, um, I, th I think in many cultures this has been a pattern that there's a definite childhood into adulthood and uh, for us as we looked at it there is no such thing as teenagers in the bible they don't exist they're not they're not biblical yeah. <laughs> make a note teenagers are not biblical um you're either a child or you're an yes. adult there's not there's no yes. kind of half man half boy half beast thing going on but in and this is not just historical it's it's cross-cultural you know around yeah. the world there are many cultures who are currently in that situation as well so it's not just historical and exactly exactly and, and in fact it's mainly the west where we've extended education out till you're about 32 years old and mm -hmm. you're kind of the living at home goes on for longer and the not taking responsibility is, has grown so we made a deliberate decision when our children turned 13 they would become adults young adults who still need older adults over them mentoring them but a definite shift in our perception of them so obviously when a child is two months old and a child is eight years old we're increasing their boundaries and we're, we're wanting to see them grow and flourish and um, find the good and learn about life and all of that. But I think when they turn 13, we said there's got to be a, a definite line in the sand. So when our children turn 12, we start a year long program. One of mine's just turned 12. Um, another has just turned 14 and hasn't done his 13 year old ceremony that we do for them because COVID has kind of overrun all of our plans for him. But anyway, we're getting there. But I, think, I don't, don't know how successful we will be of doing any of them at the age of 13. But our aim is... <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> around there. So a year, of, a year of training and talking about different things from um, sexuality to we look at the kings in the Bible. What kind of kings are there? Um, some ruled for themselves and their own benefit and some ruled for the benefit of the people around them. You're going to be a leader, whether it's within your home whether it's in the business place, whether it's in the church setting, somewhere you are going to be leading someone at some point, even if it's just one child in your family and that's it. 
Um, what kind of leader are you going to be? Are they going to, for your benefit or theirs? And so we dissect through some of these themes, how to treat the opposite sex, look at dating, all those kind of things as well. It's a great time for us to, to dig into and, and lay a foundation for those things. Um, and then when they turn 13, we have a ceremony. And then after that, we treat them as an adult. And one of the big things we teach and the, the 12 thing, which I guess this is our mantra um, for them, is that um, with every freedom comes a responsibility. Mm. So we, we break it down. And the most obvious one that kind of makes people gasp a little bit is when you turn 13 in our house, there are no bedtimes at all. You can go to bed whenever you want to. But with every freedom comes a responsibility. And the responsibility is to wake up, smell good, be ready for the day ahead and not be so tired that you cannot function. Um, yeah. And if you manage that responsibility well, then the freedom is yours. But if you don't manage it, then you won't. And I think this is, um, I've had some some people go, well, oh, that sounds like you're trying to manipulate your child in something. I, no, we're, we're just trying to give them the reality of life. You know, you mm. can walk down the street if you want to um, and do whatever you want to do. You've got the freedom to swirl a gun around your head and shoot people. But if you do, don't take responsibility, you're not going to be keeping that freedom for very long. You can have a job. You can turn up whenever you want to. You're an adult. Do what you want. But if you keep turning up late for work at some point, you're not going to have the job and you'll lose the freedom that comes from getting that pay packet. So this, this is kind of the reality of life. Um, and I, we've been amazed, actually, <laughs> probably more shocked how much our children <laughs> To this concept of yeah i want i want to take responsibility on and i'll enjoy mm. the freedom that comes with that along the way um and we've definitely not had some of the power struggles we see many having with their teenagers mm. that mm. there's been a sense of well it's it's your choice at the end of the day you make your decision um some of what you were talking about earlier with the wisdom well what do you mm. think and trying to keep mm. those open communications um with them and another thing we've done as part of this is to encourage them to have a, a mentor who's not part mm. of our family so that if they're struggling with something they've got someone else they can go to as well as us there might be there's some issues they don't want to bring to us that's what happens when you're and then people can really but they're my children they'll always want yeah when you were 19 did you want to take everything to your parents do you want them to know every detail nah, for some that probably rachel for you that was the case but, <laughs> but for others that that would be oh, i don't know uh, if i yeah. can do that or not and I don't want my children ever to feel hemmed in that they don't have somewhere mm. else they can go. Um, so mm. that, that's that's some of the the kind of things we have along the way. Uh, we, uh, we could talk more. But by our book, Home this. with God, um, we've got <laughs> we've got a few chapters in that on exactly this, the kind of the before, during, and after part. Um, and, and we're learning all the time. Each yeah. one we do slightly different and learn a bit more and go, oh yeah, we'll do that different next time. Um, but I, I would really encourage people to get this perception that yeah. there is no such thing as teenagers. You're either a child or an adult. And yes, they're still young adults. We're not kicking them out of the home. We're not um, saying now go fend for yourself. We are still the older adults. Legally, we still have responsibility for them to some degree. So all, all of those uh, kind of safeguards we're talking about, um, we're, not, we're not just talking about, bye, you're old enough now. Here's the car keys. Have fun, age 14. <laughs> and they don't have freedom without consequences. That's what I love hearing you say is yeah. that, that you're giving them the freedom. But if they misuse the, if they don't use the responsibility, then the freedom is curtailed. And so they're learning how to navigate that in a safe environment, you know, without yeah. their home being at risk. And I think that's a kingdom value as well. You know, we mm. are free to sin as much as we want. <laughs> mm. We are. But why would we yeah. want to? 
isn't there a sense yeah. of responsibility if i if i'm living for jesus i want to live differently i want to mm. i want to not sin that's my mm. that should be my innermost desire even if the slightly yeah. outer desire from that is struggling with that and battling against it but they begin yeah. to see that this is there and and we can't say i mean even david would for example when he sinned he was a man after God's own heart. He had all his ducks in a row in terms of following the Lord, but there were consequences to what he did. And uh, yeah. so we, we want that to be instilled in our children. And I think that helps them make good choices along the way. Yeah. Not perfect choices, but good choices. And it also, yeah. I, I think the other thing it helps is us as parents to bite our tongue a little bit <laughs> and, and just back off and give them space yeah. to, again, what you were talking about, work through and process yeah. and be there for them. And and it's interesting yeah. watching some of them go to a few of their friends to ask what they think. And then they'll come to mm. us and ask what we think. And just watching that whole process. And if their friends have said something wildly different, we'll go, well, what do you think about their advice? Please don't agree with yeah. it. Please don't agree. That's <laughs> 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 on the inside. And, but, but helping yeah. them to have those tools to say, yeah. actually, I want to make right decisions. I'm seeing others in my school doing this, but I don't yeah. want to do that because I know the end point is not good and not yeah. healthy. I'm, it's not yeah. I'm going to take responsibility for myself. So, yeah. Look, can I can I ask you um, can I ask you two more questions? And where time has gone, hasn't it? Yes. Yes. Oh. Yes. Ah. All right. But we'll make these two quick questions. I'm so sorry. Okay. Quick. Well, we, we, see, we could we could do this for three hours at a time. We could. Really just, <laughs> we could. First, for next question then. Um, not me personally, but if I were in a church community, and the values of my home were not matched by the values of the community. And I just see, ah, my children are not getting everything I want from that wider community. I get everything you're saying about intergenerational church and all these things. What should I do? Should I leave? Um, okay, couple of things. One, my question is always, why did you choose that community in the first place? Because if you chose that community in the first place, there may be some really beautiful things about it that you want your children to engage with. No church will ever be perfect uh, until we reach the heavenly experience. Um, I think the other thing is that the church is not the only place where you get intergenerational relationships. And so if you already have said, well, we love it here because you know these are our longstanding relationships. They don't do intergenerational community at all in any sort of gathered experience. Fine, invite people into your home and creates uh, creates your own network. You know, I have a network of friends that go across the country of people we go on holiday with, and I would say that that's their my kids' best expression of church is when we're all on holiday together, sitting around a campfire and someone's praying for somebody else and someone's telling a story of what God did. And to me, that's just as valid intergenerational church as anything else. And so, um, the church doesn't control the inter intergenerational experience that you get to create for your children. Um, you get to create that in your home and in those communities. And so, if the church you belong to, uh, you feel that you need to stick there for, then create it some other way um that's fine but if you're like i have no idea why we're still here then pray as a family about where you want to go invest <laughs> okay and finally rach you've been amazing there's so much in you i know there are books of yours that people can get if they want to get hold of them um we'll signpost that in the description below um but can you just close our time by praying for us all as we navigate this minefield of raising wonderful men and women boys and girls of who live and love Jesus in this crazy world we live in. Yes. Uh, God, I thank you so much for our children and young people uh, that we get to walk alongside for their lifetimes. And God, I pray that you would open our eyes that we may see them well. I pray that you'd whisper to our hearts and our spirits that we may 
um, follow you as you parent our children, that we may um, respond and uh, clear off things in front of them when we need to, that we would hold our tongues when we need to. I pray that you'd make us wise, that we may uh, see these uh, children, young people um, grow into the fullness of Christ. Uh, I pray that you would bless them now. I pray that you would open their ears and their hearts, that they may hear you, that they may know you. I pray that you would surround them with a community that love them and echo to them uh, who they are and who they have been made to be. And I pray that you would surround us with an intergenerational community of believers that uh, we may walk alongside each other uh, in the fullness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us and chatting with us. We've loved it. Thank you. I love talking to you. Thank you for uh, listening to me babble. <laughs> <laughs> Always. We love it. We love it every time. Thank and uh, you. <laughs> if you've been joining us this time, you've enjoyed this conversation, you want to hear more like it, then don't forget to click subscribe. Otherwise, we will see you next time. Bye. <laughs>